Good morning, New Heights. Thank you uh, for being here. Uh, we're going to start this morning in Galatians, Galatians 5.13. It says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So we were called to be free, a, a really high calling, a glorious calling, and seems to say here there's a couple different ways that we can use that freedom that we're called into. We can use that freedom to indulge the flesh, to go down the roads that would please ourselves and, and please our physical nature, or serve one another humbly through love. So that's what we're called to is a service uh, through love to one another. March 7th, 1965, about 600 people began a march from Selma, Alabama to Montgomery, led by Lewis and Hosea Williams. Marchers demand an end to discrimination in voter registration. At the Edmund Pettus Bridge, state and local lawmen attacked the marchers with billy clubs and tear gas, driving them back to Selma. As the events of this attack were broadcast across the nation, many were outraged. Martin Luther King Jr. and others traveled to Selma to march. James Reeb in Boston was watching this news and saw this brutality with his family. Martin Luther King Jr. sent out a call to ministers to come and support the cause for voting rights. James Reeb answered that call almost immediately and was on a plane to Selma. He came to Selma as a white man supporting the unjust treatment of his black brothers and sisters. He marched with Dr. King a couple days later. He was then out to eat with a couple other white ministers at an integrated restaurant. When they left the restaurant, they were attacked and beaten by a group of white men. Reeb would die two days later from the beating. Three men were charged and acquitted in his murder. In his murder. No one has ever been held responsible to this day. So here's a man who was called to be free, and in his freedom, and, and if you read a little bit more about the story, you, you definitely hear and get the sense that he counted this cost with his wife and with his family before he went. He, he knew it was going to be dangerous, and he took his freedom not to indulge the flesh, but to humbly love and serve um, his brothers and sisters and ultimately paid uh, with his life for that. So we see a great example here of Galatians 5.13 of what we were called to and how we were called to do it. Uh, there's a lot of things I love about New Heights Church. Um, one of the things that I really love is this is a church that really believes strongly in the two greatest commandments that Jesus lays out for us in Matthew 22. It's, it's in our mission that we're going to love God passionately and love people tangibly. So we see here in Matthew 22, somebody comes and, and says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Which one? Give me one. Narrow it down for me. I want to know what's the greatest. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Okay, so here's the first. Love God with everything that you've got. And the second is like it. The second is so closely tied to the first 
that maybe you can't even pull them apart. So what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus goes on to say, hey, I'm, I'm giving you two. And the second one is really like the first one. Okay, so the first one, hey, love God with everything you've got. All your strength, all your mind, all your intellect, all your time, love God with everything. But the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Everything that we are to be about hangs on these two commandments. And you really can't take one without the other. So love God with everything that you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God passionately and love people tangibly. And that's what we're going to take this morning to talk through. What, What does it look like to love people tangibly? What does it mean to love our community, to engage in our community in a, a really tangible way? I love that we take care of this church and the people who come to this church. Nothing against that at all, and I don't diminish that one bit, that we take care of children and youth and college students and one another and we support each other, but I also know we're called to love the community that we're in that is outside of these church walls, these boys and girls club gym walls. We're called to a group of people in our community. What an awesome calling. Um, you, we're gonna, you're gonna have a chance later, there's some organizations that have set up some booths here, and you're gonna have a chance later to sign up, to get to know more about them, but I wanna just kinda run through the list before we go further and just kinda tell you a little bit about them. And these organizations were some of them have been birthed out of New Heights. Some of them have been supported by New Heights, have been strongly cared for and fostered. This church is uniquely involved in these different organizations. First one, Potter's House. It's a bridge to strengthen and connect communities across socioeconomic and cultural lines. It's a, we wanna see a community that lives life together. Beautiful Lives Thrift Boutique exist to serve and transform communities by uniting, mobilizing, resourcing, and empowering women. Women of all seasons shop for fashionable clothes, and our proceeds go to help women and children in this community and around the world. South Church is a monthly meal ministry to the homeless in South Fayetteville. Intersection NWA exists to serve a weekly healthy meal, and quality conversations to build authentic relationships with the homeless and low-income population in Fayetteville. Belong offers support and community to families who are involved with the foster care system and or have adopted or are adopting. Some of this support is a parent's night out, Sunday morning brunch, meals, groceries, household items, Christmas, and most importantly, prayer. Canopy exists to create a community where refugees are welcomed and equipped with all they need to build new lives, to see refugees and our community model thriving together. Furniture Friends exists to spread the message of loving your neighbor, taught by Jesus by helping international students, refugees, and immigrants to get settled into their new homes. Presently, they have donated furniture in 200 plus homes from over 50 countries and many international friendships have started by bringing over furniture. The New Heights Community Care Ministry 
provides Christ-centered pastoral and tangible support for members of our church family, including meals, hospital, and shut-in ministry, and notes of encouragement. You just go through the list of people, whether it be refugees, whether it be uh, adoption, foster care, um, folks who are struggling with homelessness, and, and you have an opportunity to get involved in a way, and our church is saying, man, we want you to love God passionately, and we really want you to get involved to love people tangibly in our community. Uh, Before we go any further and talk about how we can and should love people tangibly, uh, I want to address a couple things about us and the way that we love others tangibly. The two things we're going to address before we go further is race and income level. Two things that uniquely are involved a lot of the time as we love our neighbors tangibly. Um, I really believe there's a high calling to serve. I think Jesus laid that out. We're supposed to serve people. We're supposed to be um, involved in great ways with our neighbors. Um, And I also think we're supposed to serve lots of people, but we are supposed to find the marginalized. We are supposed to go into the community for people who are hurting, for people who have been pushed to the edges and serve uniquely and find those people. Now, doing that can be perceived as, hey, I'm demeaning or you need me and I'm serving you in that way. And I, I, I would just kind of push back on that, that we need to do it in such a way that we're serving those, whether they be lower income, um, we're serving in a way that brings dignity and brings worth. With that being said, we do need to be really careful in our service, that we're not viewing ourselves as higher or smarter or more advanced or the right ones in the situation. Uh, this can be a real problem. It can be easy to do, and it can be harmful. We can go to a soup kitchen or a homeless shelter and quickly view ourselves as the right one or the one with the answers. You walk into a room and you see a group of people and you go, I could, I could fix this for people. I could tell you how to do this or that. And a lot of the hardships that you go through wouldn't be any more. It'd be a quick fix. And we have to be really careful that we don't go into situations with that type of mindset. I think Luke 18 can speak to this. It's verse 9 through 14. It says, uh, To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. So there's a group of people that was very confident in, in their righteousness, in the way they carried out their relationship with Jesus, in the way that they uh, had their standing before God. They were very confident in that. Jesus told them this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. So two people came. One is saying, God, I'm really thankful I'm not like this group of people, that they have these struggles and these things in their life. I'm thankful for where I'm at. And the other person said, God, please have mercy on me. 
And I, I think we see here that our mindset as we go into serving, whether it be low income, we need to go in with the mindset of God, I, I'm yours and I'm broken and I need you and I'm here to do anything that I can to help in that way. Uh, another passage, Philippians 2, verse five through seven. In your relationships with one another, just an awesome place to start. Jesus is telling us, as we go have relationships with people, have the same mindset, mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He made himself nothing. He, he took off all of the things that he had and became nothing in order to do the service to a group of people that he loved dearly. Okay, so that is um, the, the income side that we need to be cautious of and think about. Uh, race is the other thing that can cloud this whole dynamic of serving. Um, and because of an issue we have in our country with uh, racial disparity, a lot of times our work with low income also brings race into that conversation um, in the same way a lot of times that is the case. So this causes work within poverty, work within homelessness to bring in racial dynamics as well. And there's a disparity among lots of different aspects. Um, Here's a couple graphs to kind of give you a picture. I know it's really small, so I'll describe part of it. Um, what this is saying is the likelihood of having a bad outcome compared to whites in the US. So the, the red line is African-American, the white line is the, the base set for white. And you can see these five categories down on the bottom, health, education, criminal, legal, child, welfare, and finance. And so it's, it's giving the percent likelihood that an African-American would have a negative outcome more so than their white counterpart. So just to pick a couple of those. Um, uh, an African-American is two times more likely to be in foster care. Well, okay, we wanna be involved in foster care. We've got a booth back there that wants to be involved in foster care. Two times more likely, our black brothers and sisters are gonna be in foster care. Well, okay, we've gotta understand some of that dynamic or we've gotta at least understand it, bring it to the conversation as we get involved there. Four times more likely to get suspended in kindergarten through 12th grade. I love Owl Creek. That's where my kids went to school. I wanna be involved there. I wanna be involved in Fayetteville Public Schools. I know tons of our principals and our teachers and we've got a great school system. Well, to be involved there, we have to know some of these things and it does play in terms of income level and it does play in terms of race and we have to acknowledge it. Five times more likely to be denied a loan. A, uh, one of our black brothers and sisters, five times more likely to be denied a loan than their white counterpart. Okay, we in Potter's House have just started a program. It's, it's asset building. And so we wanna target a group of people and help them as they go through financial literacy and then they save money and then we match that money towards an asset. Okay, awesome. 
Well, what this would tell us and what other studies out there would tell us is, man, there's been a disparity in our country in terms of the wealth. So we need to look at, as we do this class, race as a part of asset building. So we're, we're using that and we're thinking through that as we have our participants, as we have our allies, and as we move forward in that. You can take this graph and you can flip it in another way. And it, it just says, okay, how much less likely is a white person than, than black at, uh, black is the red line at 100%. Two stats. A white person is 50% less likely to be in foster care. Man, 50% less likely. That, that's, that's a pretty huge percentage. A white person is 80% less likely to be incarcerated as an adult. 80% less likely to be incarcerated as an adult. Jesus, and we're going to look at the scripture later, Jesus said, if you go visit somebody in prison, guess who you're visiting? You're visiting me. I want you to visit a prison, to be involved in the prison, and to, to be there, and you're actually loving me when you're doing it. Okay? So we've got we've to think through and be involved in and care about our prisons, our incarceration, our criminal justice, all that kind of stuff. And Jesus has told us, hey, as the body, I want you guys involved in this stuff. And so as we do it, again, this is just kind of the backdrop. As we go about doing these things, there's income level and there's race that are aspects that we need to be conscious of and think about. Within Potter's House, it's, it's something we're, uh, we're very intentionally talking about. We have a dynamic where we have a lot of white people that are volunteers and serving. We have a lot of black participants. There's, a, there, there's numbers there. We're talking through that. What, what does that look like? What are the negatives of that? How do we do that in Northwest Arkansas? How do we get more people? And, and we have seen some of um, the narrative that can come from that. I've had young black males, young black females that don't think that marriage or wealth or jobs, certain jobs are for them because they've, they've seen um, healthy marriages just in white families. Okay, man, we got to deal with that. Race is an aspect of what we're going through. And hey, I know it's really uncomfortable. I, I'll acknowledge it, but we've got to be able to say it and we've got to be able to talk through it. It is, it is really hard. And, and we're working through it and struggling through it and seeing some really neat things come from it. So, um, so there are a couple things there that, that we need to talk through. So in conclusion to my introduction, before I even move on to the other part, um, a lot of the talk today is going to refer to serving. And when we talk about serving within our community, a lot of our serving, I mean, I listed all this back here, a lot of that is revolved around some racial things, cultural, term refugees, things like that, and it's involved in lower socioeconomic, a homeless population, or things of that nature. So we have to consider those things. There's no easy answers for these two issues. There's nothing that we can quickly say that fixes it, um, but we need to be able to bring them to light, to discuss them um, within the body and, uh, and talk about it. And so... Um, with that being said, we still do need to push into 
this thing that God has called us to. Here's a couple scriptures that really make clear that Jesus has called us into uh, service. First one is in Deuteronomy 15, 7 and 8. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land, the Lord your God is giving you. Do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Don't be tight-fisted. I love that. Be open-handed. Be generous. Second one, Jeremiah 22, 3. This is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor the one who's been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. We have a high call to do justice. God has made clear that he's calling us to do that. Okay, the next one, Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. He's shown us what's good. Here's what's good. Here's something that is good. And here's what I require of you. To be involved, to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Last one in 1 John 3.17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? I mean, it's clear in Scripture that we are to be about service and love and generosity and giving. He has uh, he's shown us that and made it very clear. So with all that, I'm going to give five points to think through as we go and love our community tangibly. Five points that from me or my wife or uh, some of the Potter's House staff that we've kind of gained over the last 20 or so years. The first one, uh, careful who you're loving through service. Is it you, is it someone else, or is it Jesus? As you go out to serve within the community, who is it that you're loving? Uh, There's a great book called When Helping Hurts. Here's a passage from it that I think uh, frames this well. Until we embrace our mutual brokenness, our work with low-income people is likely to do more harm than good. Okay, he's not saying when we do work with low-income family, it's going to be more harmful. Until we embrace our mutual brokenness, our work with low-income people is likely to do more harm than good. I sometimes unintentionally reduce poor people to objects that I use to fulfill my own need to accomplish something. I'm not okay, and you are not okay, but Jesus can fix us both. I'll give you an example. Somebody comes to me hypothetically and says, okay, you told me about it. I love the idea of Potter's House. Um, I would really like to get involved, but really, I really want to get my kids involved because I want them to realize how much they've got. I want them to see what they've got. And, you know, it's really hard. We live in a nation. We live in a time where we've got lots of things. So really... What this person is saying to me is, I would like to bring my child and I want you to introduce them to some poor people so they can realize how much they've got. Ah, oh, okay. So, so that, that, no, 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 no. Okay, well, what if you come and say, hey, I want my kids to get involved because I want my kids to see 
someone who loves well, who has great character, who has great compassion, who has unbelievable perseverance. Oh, okay. Now we're talking. Now we want to get involved in our community and see some unbelievable things, unbelievable people that are living in our community that we may not know. It's a totally different approach. Um, If you talk to our staff, if you talk to volunteers and you ask them um, about their impact in Potter's House, they would probably quickly change that a little bit and they would say, I I think maybe I've I've done some good, but I would tell you I've been impacted more than I think that I've had an impact. Here's some of the statements that they made. There's a young lady who's shown me what it looks like to persevere under the hardest of circumstances. She's battled through abuse, neglect, and poverty. She is joyful, kind, and loving towards people and Jesus. Okay, the staff member said, what does that show me about my life? How does that help my outlook on my privilege? How does that help me realize what perseverance looks like? I've been changed from my work here. I have a friend, a single dad raising his kiddos by himself. He works day jobs and has at times worked through the night. He's one of the hardest working men I know. I'm in awe of what he's doing to care for his kiddos. There's a young lady who's a spiritual mentor to me. Her faith is amazing. She speaks of Jesus as if she is so sure that he is real and for us. It's just, it's a, it's a perspective shift in terms of when we go out and serve, when we go out and get involved in the community, what are we thinking? What are we looking? Are we thinking that, hey, I'm going to come and I'm going to teach and I'm going to help? Or are we going, man, there's some unbelievable people out there that I'm going to learn from, I'm going to grow from, that have the ability to teach and lead me in the same way. And of course, what we're saying, there are some ways that we can help. We're not taking that away, but it's the mindset in the midst of it. So that's the first one. The second one is, it is all about Jesus. We're going to look at Matthew 20. Five, starting in verse 31 says when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left then the king will say to those on his right come you who are blessed by my father take your inheritance The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. He's saying take your inheritance because here are the things you did for me while you were here walking around on earth. The the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Our work within the community and as we love our neighbors tangibly should be viewed as loving Jesus. Whether it be clothes, whether it be drink, whether it be visiting somebody in prison, the work should be with the realization that we're loving Jesus. You never know where you're going to encounter the king of the universe. 
when Jesus walked around, when he was born, they were blown away where he was born and the family he was born into. Here, Jesus is saying that, man, we are loving Jesus when we're loving people in prison, maybe a homeless population. So it is all about Jesus and we can't lose sight of that. Third one, loving people tangibly is loving people tangibly, okay? Seems kind of simple, but sometimes what we do in loving people tangibly, we come up with all different kind of ways. And there's, there's a need in front of us and we go, well, no, I, I think the way I'm gonna love them is um, I'm gonna be over here and I'm just gonna say I care for them or I'm gonna maybe send them a card or maybe I'm gonna invite them to a Bible study. Well, loving people tangibly at times is loving people tangibly. Here's an example. There's a single mom with five kiddos. They're looking for a home. The father's in prison. She works two jobs, both at minimum wage, and one of her older daughters just got pregnant. Someone hears this and says, man, she really needs Jesus. Uh, She needs to know Jesus. She needs to know his word. She needs to really grasp who he is. Well, that, that may be true, but honestly, she may really know Jesus. She may have a deep abiding faith in Jesus. She may get up every day and the dependence on her food and on her kids and on her parenting may be rock solid in Jesus. The love that she has, it may be obvious. Sometimes the way we need to tangibly love somebody is obvious right in front of us. Here's a little video that may uh, shed some light on it. Sometimes the issue before us is the issue right in front of us. And we just make it uh, about something else. So a mom in that situation, we may need to help provide childcare. We may need to help with some resources. We may need to help with rides. We may need to help with school things. I mean, sometimes we can oversimplify things. And we just need to be able to say sometimes loving people tangibly is loving people tangibly. 
Sometimes there's someone that's going through a lot of stuff and they, they don't need a Bible study right then. Now, not diminishing that they need to love Jesus, but maybe they've fully loved Jesus and right now they need somebody to come alongside and listen to them and care for them and meet some tangible needs. Okay, uh, next one. Fourth one. There are things going on in our community that you can but shouldn't ignore. Uh, in our staff every week, we get together and we pray for uh, families and we pray for what's going on in our community. And uh, this last week, one of our staff uh, began praying and she was praying for an apartment in the area that we know some things that are going on and her prayer was something like this. Uh, I pray for the hurting parents there. I pray for the hurting children. I pray for the fear that's there. I pray for the things that are being sold. Um, and I pray for the people that are being sold. And as she prayed that, you could just feel uh, like a ah, in the room of, of a knowledge of prostitution that's going on and an understanding that uh, that is there. As we engage and as we should engage in our community, it, it's, it's hard. It, it, it can emotionally put you in a different place. Because honestly, the reality is you can grow up, you can grow up in Northwest Arkansas and you can have a picture of Northwest Arkansas and not know some things that go on here. And in some ways, it can be easier, it can be a brighter outlook, and I know that because I grew up in Fayetteville. I was born here, I was raised here, and there's the ability to go to schools and be around people and have friends and stuff. That It's just, man, things are good here. And I don't know about some of the other things. Um, whether it be homelessness or poverty or racism or prostitution or drugs, um, these things will and should have a disrupting factor in our lives. And I think that's what Jesus called us to. He called us to disrupt our lives in order to get involved and tangibly love those around us. Um, I, uh, it, it can be overwhelming. And how do you take those first steps? One of the booths back there is, is gonna be Intersection NWA. And I reached out to one of the guys who had started it and just said, hey, tell me, what was the heartbeat behind starting it? What was your thought? What were you going through? And he said this, this was his response. I think it started because we realized, this was, I think, three or four couples. We realized that church isn't all about staying inside and learning what to do, but actually getting out there and doing what we know the Bible tells us to do. There are more than 2,000 verses involving poverty, physical oppression and justice, and the redistribution of resources. How do we go and do likewise? Realizing how high the poverty and food insecurity rates are in Fayetteville was discouraging and let us know this was an area of need. So we picked the night at the time that no other meal was being served, and since May 2014, a meal has been served every Thursday night. Awesome. Here's a group of people that were sitting in a church and they said, hey, there's some things that need to go on outside of the church. Okay, what's a need in our community? Okay, now there's gonna be a disruption to our lives and that disruption has taken the form of a meal every Thursday night since May of 2014 with a group of people and 
they have, they're doing it in a way to build intentional relationships. I mean, it's awesome. It's not where you go and it's just, hey, we're going to serve a bunch of people food. It's, we're going to get to know this group of people. Okay, well, as we get to know a group of people, we're going to see more of the needs in our community on a relational way. Okay, well, now we're getting to see more of the needs. What do we need to do from there? Okay, okay, now my life's totally different than it was in 2014 before I got to know this group of people. Because we see what the Lord wants and then we're moved into action. Okay, last one. Or actually, no, before we get there, quick quiz for you. Five questions. Uh, First one, do you know someone who is in jail? Do you know someone who is incarcerated at this time? Okay, second one. Do you know a family that's been impacted by murder? Do you know anybody that murder has impacted them uniquely? Third, do you have any friends that have a shortage of food? They're not really sure where food's gonna come from, where the next meal is. Uh, weekends are harder than during the week. School provides a, uh, a help in that way. Next one, know anyone that has been homeless, and I would add, or in foster care. Last one, know anyone that has been impacted by racism. And again, as you answer these, uh, you know, it. It's not you have to have all five answers yes, or if you have zero, oh my gosh, you're so terrible. It's just taking stock of how are we doing in terms of plugging our lives into the community. And again, God isn't motivating us out of guilt. What you saw at the first scripture in Galatians 5, we're called to freedom. With that freedom, we should, through love, serve one another. And I hope we're getting a picture or more of a picture or something of an aspect of our community. And if we say here, man, I, I said all five of these were zero. Okay, okay, don't feel guilty and walk away ashamed, and, but go, okay, hey, what, what's, what's the next step for me? What's a way that through love I could serve in my community and get to know somebody and to get involved in something that the Lord's doing here? Okay, uh, number five, the last one. Uh, There are amazing and beautiful people that if you get to know, you'll have a more full view of God. Um, One quick story, Uh, we had a group of friends over, diverse group of friends. Uh, There were some African Americans there and there was a group of white people and we have dinner and we're cleaning up and um, one of the gentlemen uh, black man, we're cleaning up, and he looks at me, and he goes, Sean, where's your trash can? And I said, well, what I think maybe multiple in here of us would say, okay, go over to the sink. It's in the drawer just to the right. It's right over there. And he just kind of snickered and laughed, and he goes, all you white people, you all put your trash in the drawer. <laughs> he goes, we, we put our trash down at the end of the counter, and where it's just right out there in, in the middle of the kitchen. And I, we kind of laughed and I went, man, I think there's something more to that than just where we put our trash. So again, the context here is when you get to know a diverse group of people, you get a different lens of the Lord. So I was talking to another friend that I hadn't talked to in a while. And uh, I called and I said, hey, ha, where, where are you at with your job? And they said, 17 bucks an hour. 
And I was like, oh, I, I was, I was kind of thinking, where are you working now? And they went right to how much they earn. They just laid it out there. I have friends that I've known for 10 years, 15 years. There's no way I'm getting to their income level. They're not sharing it. I mean, it, it's under lock and seal. It's in a safe. We're not going there in a friendship and we're pretty good friends. And so there's a context that is beautiful when we've got diversity in relationships to go, hey, I, I kind of want to get where my stuff's more out there, where I'm not trying to hide things and, and I just, okay, let's live life in a more free way. It's, it's, it's good and it's healthy. That's awesome. Talk to one of our small group leaders. He said this, I think Jesus speaks to us through our community a lot. And by getting involved in Potter's house, I've gotten to know people who are different than me. They were raised differently and think about the world in a different way than me. It's almost as if there's a lens to see God through that I haven't experienced before. You get to see God move in different ways when you surround yourself with people who don't look and talk just like you. So if you hear what he's saying, he's not saying man, I've done a, I've done a great thing. I've, I've really spent my time well and, and I've helped people that need help and um, it's awesome. What he's saying is I have seen the maker of the universe in a whole new way through this group of people. I've come to know Jesus in a new way because of people that I've met that are different than me. Man, there's, it's awesome. There's, there's nothing more valuable than that. So where, where do we go as a church? What, are things, what does it look like to love people tangibly? Uh, about, I think it was eight years ago, uh, we were given a, um, a, a track of land, 40 acres. And the question became, okay, what, what are we going to do with this land? Okay, let's, there, there was thoughts of building a church, building a big building and spending millions of dollars and, and that from the body was, was pretty much kind of shut down and said, no, we, we're, not, we're not looking to necessarily do that. Um, there's a farm on the land. Okay, awesome, great, great use for the land. Um, in the last probably year, year and a half, uh, there's been conversations and time and energy and work put into um, this picture that you're going to see up here. And uh, this is proposed, and Lord willing, if, if it keeps happening, this is what is going to be on the front half of the land. And what this is, is and, and when we use these words, it, it's going to come up with something negative in your mind, and then I'll hopefully rephrase it, but it's, it's an affordable housing uh, on the land. Now, when you think affordable housing, you just, you just have a, a different picture than what we're picturing here. This is, this is a community that we're going to build on the land, a diverse community um, that is needed in Fayetteville. We have a housing shortage in a certain median income that you just, you just can't find good houses or, or you can't find houses for families to live that they can afford. So either families have to move elsewhere or they have to pay more, which gives less disposable income to really important things. So we need some rents that are about $350 up to about $700. And uh, that's, that's what this is going to be. With some mixed in, 
um, market rate apartments where we've got diverse income living there. Uh, there's plans to put uh, a potter's house, our sorting facility on the land. So if all this continues to happen on the land, the potential could be there's housing, there's jobs, there's a preschool, there's a farm. I mean, it's a really, really exciting thing that our church would be involved in. So we're given land. What are we going to do with it? Well, we want to look into the needs of the community. We want to see what our community needs. And the church isn't getting anything out of this. I mean, it, it's land that we're long-term leasing for practically no money. And somebody's going to build on there. And then people are going to get to live in great housing and in great community. And it's, it's an awesome picture of what I think the Lord would have us do as we do that. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to break into, and this may be uncomfortable for some, sorry, but we're going to break into little groups around and uh, we're going to pray for the land. We're also going to pray for our community and then there's going to be a little more worship time and then afterwards you can go and uh, go to some of the booths and uh, talk through some opportunities there. So I'm going to pray and then you guys can uh, break into groups and you'll have just a couple minutes. So this, I, I hate this because I'm totally relational. But I wouldn't spend a lot of time with introductions. I'd like, get to the prayer. Pray for the land and pray for our community. So I'm gonna pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you that you've given us a church, that you've created us to be people who love you and love others. Uh, we love you and we thank you. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.